name is Shandy Chernow, and this is the Shandy Land Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Today, my guest is Marnie Leary. She is a food allergy mom extraordinaire and the best colleague on the planet. I'm fortunate enough to have her working with me at Certistar, and even more fortunate to have her be a longtime friend. So thank you for joining me today. I very much appreciate it as we learn how to do this podcasting thing. Uh, Thank you for being on the team. Well, thank you for having me. I'm a little choked up. It's a beautiful (laughs) statement about me, so I appreciate that. And it's all true. (laughs) Thank you. So I already said it, that you're a food allergy mom, but tell me all about it. How do food allergies affect your life? And don't leave out the parts where they affect you too. Oh, well, yes. So my son, who is 11, was diagnosed at about 18 months of having a food allergy to peanuts and tree nuts. We found out because um, a neighbor had recommended throwing walnuts um, into his oatmeal, and I just touched a little bit to his lip, and he blew up. His nose was running. He was crying unconsolably. Um, so we ended up going to an allergist and testing him for food allergies. Well, roll back. What did you do in that moment? I mean, you, you must have absolutely freaked out. Um, you know, I didn't because I didn't know what it could be and what it could do. So I didn't freak out. And I spent a number of years not fully aware of the trauma and the overwhelmingness of it all until I was able to do more research, I actually found an allergist that was dedicated to food allergies as opposed to environmental allergies. Super important. Makes a huge difference. Absolutely. So what did you do that day? We, um, the doctor recommended a little bit of Benadryl, and that's what we gave him, which helped him subside. And that was, other than eczema, on a regular basis, that was really the only um, reaction, major reaction that he had until last year at school when he actually went into full-blown anaphylaxis. Yeah. You joined me at the hospital that day. I sure did. Yes, thank you for that. Team, man. (laughs) And what about you? Um, it's overwhelming. It's harder. I'm finding it harder now as he's getting older to let him venture off on his own and not be the helicopter mom, but also finding a balance where I can keep him safe. He's at that age where he wants to be normal. I put it in quotations, um, but he's not. And we have to take these precautions. Well, he's more normal than society would think, right? 10% of people. So that's pretty normal. Yes, yes. I just need to normalize it, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I find it fascinatingly interesting that I asked about you and you went back to Quinn. Yes. I think that tells us something about how food allergy moms... Uh, give a whole lot more attention and care to their kids' food allergies than food allergy adults give to themselves. Where am I going with this, Mike? <laughs> that I apparently have a food allergy mm-hmm. <laughs> that I tend to forget uh-huh. <laughs> on a regular basis. Uh, yes, so I have been a hive sufferer all of my life. Um, it comes and it goes, but it's become worse this year in which I myself have suffered two anaphylactic reactions. Mm-hmm. From So my symptoms were hives and low blood pressure to the point that I passed out. Yeah, big deal. Big deal. And do you carry an EpiPen with you all the time? I do now. Hey, Yay. progress. <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I think that it's so interesting, right? Like we, I mean, 
not to take anything away from Quinn's allergies at all, but you've had more severe reactions than he has. I have. That is true. And yet. And yet, I spoke about him first. Right. Yes. And I think that that's kind of a regular thing. I don't mean to call it out on you at all. Right. I think that adults who have food allergies have a tendency to minimize it and not really think about it as much. I'm sure we as adults do this all the time in a hundred different ways, right? We care much more about what our kids are eating or if our kids are exercising or how much screen time our kids are getting or, you know, whatever the case may be. Pick right. one. And we care much less about, you know, how those things are affecting ourselves. Well, what's so fascinating for our family is that my son and myself are both prime examples of exercise-induced anaphylaxis, which doesn't get a lot of notice when you're out researching about allergies. And so my son's anaphylactic reaction came from exercise-induced for running on the playground, seeing new equipment, where my exercise-induced came from an increased amount of stress. And I wasn't having an allergic reaction or any sort of noticed... um, I hadn't noticed anything from anything that I ate until I got very upset and very stressed out. And that created my anaphylactic reaction. Yeah. So in times of stress, physical or otherwise, our body's immune systems are a little bit suppressed, right? And therefore, anaphylaxis, which is an immune reaction, is more likely to occur. Yeah. Something that people don't know. And thank you for bringing that up. Who, I think I might know the answer to this question. Who do you ask for help about this stuff or anything else? Well, um, I've come to rely on you a great deal. (laughs) Um, That seems to be an obvious answer because you are a food allergy extraordinaire. Um, But I, you know, I realized I didn't know as much as I thought I did until I was out on social media. And there are a number of wonderful social media sites Mm -hmm. that I use and watch. um, I pay attention to the comments because so many people out there know so much more than I do. And so I read what they write. And then, of course, I research because I need to do more than just read somebody else's comments. Yeah, I mean, I find that there's a lot of interesting information on those. There's a lot of interesting misinformation on those as well. Absolutely. Yes. All right. What about help for other stuff? When you need help, who do you ask? <laughs> Not about food allergies. In life, <laughs> who do you go to? Um, well, that's a hard one because I don't know that I ask a lot of people for help. I find it, sadly, to be a weakness to ask for help, so I tend not to do that. Me too. I find myself in the exact same place. And then what I find is so interesting there is that when I do ask for help, and it's certainly not something that comes to me naturally by any stretch of the imagination, it's so easy. It's like this huge obstacle I put up in front of myself, right? It doesn't even occur to me to ask people for help. Yes. But people love giving help. People love giving help. And one of the things that I think about is... I always hope that I'm the 3 a.m. phone call that somebody wants and needs at 3 a.m. Please call me. Mm-hmm. But I could never imagine calling anyone at 3 a.m. for help. No. I couldn't do it. Always true? Or is that something that's kind of... No, I think that I don't know that I've ever called anyone at 3 a.m. So <laughs> Maybe that means you've never needed help at 3 a.m. Maybe I, that, that's what that means. <laughs> no, I'm exactly the same way. I figure it out myself, right? And then in retrospect, you can kind of think, oh, gosh, I could have called fill-in-the-blank yes. person. Yes. I'm sure there are. Well, and I'm sure at your life as in mine, everybody would be appalled to hear that I couldn't call them at right. 3 a.m. Of course. Yes. Because everybody thinks, you know, I've made myself so open. Why wouldn't they call me? Because, yes. Because it's hard. It is hard. It's Absolutely. super difficult. <laughs> All right. I'll let you go on that one. <laughs> Coffee or cocktails? I'm a cocktail gal. What's it go to? Um, I've really turned to vodka lately. 
I love some vodka drinks. Yeah. Well, Arizona is known for its citrus. So fresh grapefruit juice. One of the Isn't one there a name for that? Grapefruit juice and vodka? I don't know. Salty. I'll find that out. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's a name for that. <laughs> I, um, yeah, so it's vodka, tonic, and um, squeeze of grapefruit juice is my nice. absolute favorite. So refreshing on the hot Arizona days. So I know you're a margarita girl. I am a margarita girl. So much yes. so, and I don't mean that in that kind of way, but she's so talented at making margaritas that we've renamed them margaritas, right? Mm, yes. And it's um, it, they're very good, very dangerous, but they're homemade. So it's a lot of work to zest and juice many, so many. <laughs> my go-to drink, and one of the things that's been really kind of cool in this pandemic, I don't know if you've taken much advantage of it, but Arizona has allowed for restaurants to give um, the option to have to-go or curbside alcohol, which is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And uh, so my new go-to drink from one of the local Mexican places is a vodka rita. <laughs> I'm all in. <laughs> I like it. Yes. I like, and we're not allergic to anything that's in there. Good. Right? Yes. Not nothing yet. Nothing yet. I like it. So what out of anything in the entire world, I suspect that you'll probably go to food allergy stuff, but it could be anything. What is a common myth that you would want to debunk? And we talk about this a lot at work, right? Uh, different types of food allergy myths, but feel free to jump off the food allergy train and go somewhere else. Probably in this um, very politically charged atmosphere as we approach an election is that I feel like we're all closer together than we are further apart. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. So people think that things are so divided right now. Because I think if we sat down face to face, um, I have neighbors that are the opposite spectrum of myself. Yeah. And I love them to pieces. Yeah. And we can have some amazing conversations that are that involve politics and don't involve politics. But I learn from them and I hope that they learn from me. But in the end, we always can find a common ground and that we are more alike than we are different. Yeah, humanity. Absolutely. Theme of the morning. <laughs> I like that very much. So, you know, kind of rolling off of that, you know, talking to neighbors and political divisiveness or togetherness, however you want to look at that. What would you uh, what would you say is one of the biggest mistakes that you've made that you have learned from? It's mm -hmm. a tough one. It is a hard one. Um, and I think with again politics and social media is so quick to judge someone yeah. else's social media posts and um, reacting yeah. too quickly and I say harshly, but I mean too aggressively, yeah. too assertively. And not recognize their humanity behind what they're writing. Whereas if they said that very same thing in a sit-down conversation with a Marnie Rita in their hand, you'd have a more uh, civilized discourse. Yes, absolutely. But I think, too, that at that moment, uh, I'm reading so much, so many news articles and things that I get myself all worked up and that I don't calm myself down before responding. Yeah, it's had, I've had um, nights of sleeplessness because I'm appalled sometimes. Yeah, and, and you're worried about how can I be friends with this person who feels that way? Or how could I have talked to a friend that way? Ah, That's more of my point on that. Has so, that led to any interesting apology conversations that have brought back together? Right yes, away from absolutely. The yep, absolutely. Yeah, so making up for that mistake, right? And I yes. Really, I, I can see you feeling very vulnerable in this moment. 
that, but you know, that's what you, the, the, it's very interesting, right? You want people to hear um, that everybody else is going through these same types of thought processes and problems and issues and, you know, that you're not alone in those types of feelings, right? Yes. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. So give me a happy one. What's a big surprise that you've had lately? Well, surprise could go either way, but surprise has kind of a positive connotation, right? Well, surprises are few and far between being quarantined for the last six months. Amen to that. I don't know that I can find one. Yeah, you're right. In quarantine, it's a little bit more difficult to have not the same routine. Yes, Groundhog Day. Right? <laughs> What's been the hardest part of that for you? Um, I am very much someone who likes to be alone. I need my daily dose of aloneness and having family around all the time has taken its toll. So yeah. I'm finding ways to satisfy that. I spend a lot of time in the guest room reading and catching up on Netflix or whatever it may be, but I, I dig a hole. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, everybody needs their recharge time. Do you find you do that alone best? Yes. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. I'm a total introvert. I say, as I've started a podcast, <laughs> <laughs> I was talked into this one. Um, no, I, I recharge alone for sure. And when I don't get that time, my stress levels, whoop, you know, mm -hmm. just climb, climb, climb. Yes. Yeah. I, I, could not agree with you more that that has absolutely been the hardest part of this quarantine thing is is not just the isolation from other people which is also hard yes but the togetherness with the people who you live with well and it's it's sort of being forced to be quarantined with some all the time and not see others all the time where yeah. we want a mix not only the aloneness right but a daily dose of friends and family as right. well. Now, Arizona, has, uh, which is where we are, has opened up a lot of stuff, right? Have you spent some time going out and exploring the things that are open again? I have not. Um, I've actually taken myself to having groceries delivered or pick up curbside a lot more than I used to do. Um, I'm still very hesitant about it. I think that we need to settle until we see where these lower numbers. We're definitely doing better than we were. Um, we see that curve going down, but I'm still nervous about it. So what's the out and about thing that you miss the most? I actually miss um, my neighborhood. We had a wonderful tradition on Friday nights, sitting in our driveway, getting together. The kids play, the parents talk, we order pizzas from the local pizzeria, and we're not doing that. And I know that it could be done six feet apart outside, but it isn't the same. It doesn't feel the same. What's been your favorite thing that has changed quarantine-wise? Um, you know, it's interesting in that a lot of people are learning new languages and things like that. And again, I'm turning towards my son. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I Fender gave away free guitar lessons. And so I took advantage of that for him. And what about for you? We got to get Marnie to do some self care I've for Marnie. <laughs> That's what we're finding out today. The theme yeah. of our podcast is Marnie self care for Marnie. Yes. I'll tell you what. The favorite thing for me, particularly at the beginning, I feel like some activities have resumed, but my kids were so scheduled, right? That all of a sudden quarantine hit, and there was no more soccer practice. There was no more golf practice. There was no more kind of anything, and all of a sudden we had these evenings free. 
And so they'd be in online school all day in the spring, right? Mm -hmm. And there really wasn't a homework aspect to that. They were kind of done when they were done. And we didn't have anything activity-wise in the evenings. And all of a sudden, we had these, you know, three or four hours at the end of the day before they went to bed where we could cook dinner and we didn't have anywhere that we had to be. And I mean, I think that the novelty of that has maybe worn off a little bit, but those, those times spent together were so cool, mm-hmm. right? Just kind of the relaxed nature of that I thought was great. Yes. You know, they were so like, go, 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 go. Every night was a different thing. And now, uh, you know, they're starting to creep back into that, you know, mind play golf. And so that seems to be a pretty good social distance activity. So that's definitely picked back up. Um, and I find myself a little bit, hmm, I don't want to go back to the activity <laughs> schedule that we had before after school. Maybe you'll find some time to pull back a little. Yeah. See, you're you're maybe in need of a little bit more Marnie, and maybe I need to have a little bit more empathy for my kids and the activities that they want to do instead of how it affects me. <laughs> so we're sitting, you know, in my office here. If you're watching on video, you can see that. But if you're listening, you can't. I'm a big bibliophile, right? I love books, and I think, you know, that's kind of obvious from the environment. Is there a go-to book that when somebody asks for a recommendation that you go with? There isn't one particular person, and I've actually, sadly, gotten a little bit away from reading as much as I used to, Um, but I have a stack of books next to my bed that I keep looking at and think, okay, a little bit today, Marnie. Let's let's read just a little bit. What are you looking forward to reading the most? Um, it's a book I read a number of years ago, and I'm probably going to butcher the title a little bit, but it's The Spirit Hits You When You Fall Down. It's about a Hmong family that comes to the United States and the obstacles they face with the medical treatment here. And I read it years ago, and I was recommending it to a book group that I had belonged to as another option. We never got there because of quarantine. But I bought that book because I want to revisit it. Is it fiction or nonfiction? It's nonfiction. Do you read a lot of nonfiction? I think it's a nice um, balance between the two. I really struggle to pick up nonfiction books. I like the escape of it, right? It's not that I don't like the nonfiction topics. It's not, it's not that. It's that when I'm going to sit down and spend me time with a book, I like the idea that, you know, it's another world. It's it's a fantasy mm-hmm. right yes so I also struggle with kind of sad books yes I like you know I, I get to root for characters <laughs> I have been I'm sure so many of the people have watched Tiger King and that actually has spurred um a desire to see odd maybe quirky documentaries that are out there so I've been in search of those Tiger King's a mess huh yes <laughs> I mean you can't stop watching it once you start and you don't even want to watch it necessarily. You can't. Right? Yes. So who you, what happened to Carol Baskin's husband? I don't know. But, I, you know, the, the documentary certainly made it seem like she had a play in it. I don't disagree with you there. I don't know either what happened. I, there was something I, I just kind of skimmed by online the other day that said that there was new evidence coming out or there was a new account from somebody else or something like that. I don't know, her husband before him or something. So maybe we'll never know. Maybe we'll find out. Did you watch the Dancing with Stars with her on there? I have not. Me neither. No. But I did hear that they reopened the case. What's happened since then? I don't know. But I did read that the new new documentary. (laughs) Do you think Joe will get pardoned? No, I don't think so. Yeah. 
That one is a mess. So on the topic of weird things that obviously we're both fascinated with, what's the weirdest thing that you absolutely love that like, you know, nobody else is really into? Um, I'm sure other people are into it, but I am a diehard tennis fan. And the lots of other people are into tennis. A lot yes. of people are into tennis, but I don't but know. But not so that, much like football or something like that. Exactly. I the tennis channel for the obscure tennis matches. Um, of course, ESPN for the uh, majors, but it's always on in our house. Always. So, so you'll just watch tennis matches that happened in the past? I will watch tennis matches that happened in the past. Um, I've got the, all the apps on my phone. I'm constantly updated to what is happening in the tennis world, and I so love it. So what happened with Djokovic last week? Yes. Um, so he hit a ball in anger, and it happened after a play, right? Yes. And it happened to have whacked one of the officials in the jaw or in the neck or something yes, like that. Yes, the line judge right. was hit in the neck from the ball. And so you can like Djokovic or not like him, but the rules specify specifically that if you hit someone, you're ejected from the match. And that is what happened. So you can... I saw a lot of comments about how she overreacted, how it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, it wasn't during a play. She should have been paying attention to what was happening. But all of those things may be true, maybe not true, but that does not affect the results. And you're he, a huge Djokovic fan, I'm right? I'm not. Oh, no, you're in the Dolphin. <laughs> I'm in the Dolphin. I haven't up, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I'm sure you saw the daggers coming out of my mind <laughs> to assume I that I'm I got it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's all right. But um, if it happened at all, I would I would be disappointed as well. Um, but we do need to take a look at all the players need to take a look at their on court behavior, and that might not have been um, done in anger. I didn't think that it was done in anger. I could tell he was angry because he had lost the set. Well, he clearly wasn't aiming at her. He know, clearly wasn't he was aiming just, at her. Uh, right, but. Those actions shouldn't happen regardless. Right. And it's it's amazing to me, it's astounding to me how much we expect the tennis players to behave on court. But they are expected to do so. The rules dictate that. So, dear listeners, I uh, apologize in advance, but my dogs are a little bit attached to being around people. And so if you hear a collar shaking or a little arfing in the background, no matter what I do... Uh, they're quiet all the time, except when I want to make a recording of something or if I'm on a really important phone call, and then they make noise. So here we have it. Uh, my German Shepherd, Liberty, has decided to join us. Now, you've got a doggy, too. I do. Black Lab, Olive. Yes, four years old. And maybe one day they'll be friends, but right now Olive's a little protective of her turf. Yes, she is. Right. Liberty has come to join and play, but it didn't work out quite so well. <laughs> But Liberty's getting bigger, so maybe she'll be able to stand up to Olive a little bit. And Olive's the sweetest thing. She really is. Yes, I was surprised by your behavior. <laughs> so we can go with that on surprise, right? Yes. All right, so let's just say that for the sake of, of argument that in quarantine we're going to give you some self-care. What is it that you want to learn? I want to get back to hiking, and I need to get back out there. Uh, a year and a half ago? No, almost two years ago now, I hiked... Havasu Falls. Amazing pictures came out of that. Amazing. And I hiked it with a 20-pound pack in and out. So I'm a non-camper, non-hiker, non-backpacker that did three days. And I hiked out with that 20-pound pack so I could have bragging rights that I did that. 
So I've set myself a goal for the spring to do Humphreys Peak, which is the highest point in Arizona. Where is that? It's just north or just outside of Flagstaff. And so my goal is to do that um, come spring. So I had knee surgery and I'm um, a little heavier from quarantine and a little bit more out of shape. So it's get back to, that's my self-care is to get back to hiking. Right on. Yes. That's awesome. How did you prepare for Havasu? Who did you call and ask for help for something that you've never done before? Again, social media. Um, <laughs> that's actually where I found out about it. I'm not a native to Arizona. Somebody posted this beautiful picture and I thought, oh, uh, YOLO, right? Something I want to do, add it to my bucket list. Yeah. And then tickets became available and I reached out for tickets and I got them. So I was excited for 30 minutes and then panic set in because I'm not prepared. So again, it was following their social media sites. Other people that were hiking were, would ask questions and I took copious amounts of notes. And so I knew exactly what needed to go in, what needed to come out, and um, I didn't make a mistake in that. So very happy. Preparation, that. Is, Preparation key, right? is key, absolutely. Which is one of the things I meant to ask you that we didn't have a chance to talk about uh, is that you have reinvented your kind of career path a couple of times. I have. You were a teacher and you were a server and you like you've done all sorts of things that are not in the same straight line. And I think that's really interesting. That is true. That is. Yeah, that story of getting me to IBM was weird. Yeah. Do I know that story? Um, so I was a teacher in Wisconsin. I moved to Michigan. I did not have a teaching license for Michigan. So I submitted my resume to Manpower, which is a temporary agency. Mm -hmm. And you have to think back in the time of phone books. <laughs> and I accidentally misread the fax number for the clerical office. And I sent it to the technical office. And the Manpower Technical sent my resume to IBM. And I was able to obtain a job at IBM through that mistake. <laughs> and you weren't expecting that. What was that I like was, getting that phone call? That was unbelievable and overwhelming because I never in a million years thought that I could ever open the door to a position at IBM. And even more astounding was the interview. Um, so the woman interviewing me showed me a presentation. So I would be involved in completing um, graphics presentations for the senior staff there. And she showed me a presentation and she asked me, do you think you can do this? Well, of course I think I can. If she had asked me, have I, can I? The answer would have been no, I didn't, I'd never. And so um, they gave me a chance, they hired me on. And so I was with IBM for almost 20 years. That's a great story. I don't, I've never heard that. Oh, no. Uh -uh. Yes. yes. You tripped your way into a job <laughs> at IBM that you probably should have applied for in the first place. I probably should have applied. Well, you know, it's one of those things that I had hand-touched a few software programs, and I added them all to my resume. So it looked quite extensive. <laughs> well, that's what happens on resumes, right? Yes. You're certainly not alone in that. People stash all sorts of things on there. Yes. But I had experience with all of them. It wasn't quite dramatic lie but it was a fib nonetheless but in the end I did my job and I did my job well so 20 years there proves so <laughs> all right so we're coming to the end of our time 
and I'm going to ask you what's probably a hard question, and you're probably going to be mad at me for it. <laughs> Two truths and a lie. Two truths and a lie. All right. Um, I have once danced with Michael Flatley of Irish dancing fame, Riverdance fame. I have met and sat on the lap of Larry Bird. Really? And I know four languages. Well, we're going to leave it there. I'm going to let you guys try to figure out what the two truths and a lie are. Let us know in the comments what you think, and we'll let you know if you're right. Thank you so much, Marnie, for being here with me. And thank you, listeners, for listening. If you like what you hear, please go ahead and subscribe to the channel. And thank you again, and we'll see you next time on Shandling. Thank you so much.